Podcraft. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Prebil Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one partners, family, friends, co workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome, everybody, to this episode, The Impact of Trust on Company Culture, a conversation with a former CEO of a Fortune 200 company. So I really enjoyed this one. This was a conversation with my old boss and very good friend, Bill Morian. And before I tell you more about the show, I do want to mention again a workshop that my wife and I, Ivana Rainbow, are giving on Saturday, April 27th in Asheville, North Carolina, called The Power of Appreciation for Couples. In this workshop, you will learn the keys of unlocking the power of appreciation in your relationships, because genuine appreciation, regardless of how simple or profound, has proven to bring an immediate shift in the quality and closeness of loving relationships. So this workshop, The Power of Appreciation for Couples, will teach you the necessary skills and fundamental process of enriching your relationships with your partner and deepening the connection and enhancing the flow of positivity. So to learn more about the Power of Appreciation Workshop for Couples and to register, visit heartsharecounseling.com or call 828-712-8398 and you can check out the show notes for hyperlinks to the website. I also want to once again thank those of you who have donated to my podcast and supported the podcast because it does take, as I say, many hours and dollars to get this out to you. So if my content has helped you forge deeper connections or more meaningful relationships, and if you are inclined to support the podcast with a one-time donation or a reoccurring monthly donation, you can go to support the podcast page on my website HeartShare Counseling, or you can check out the show notes at the bottom, which will give you a hyperlink to support the podcast. Thank you, everybody. So this episode conversation was recorded with my mobile podcast equipment as I traveled out to Bill's Ranch in Montana for my birthday weekend this past summer. He gave me two gifts on my birthday. One was this podcast interview because Bill does not give interviews. And the second birthday gift, you're going to need to stay tuned to the end of the podcast to hear about that one. And it's a fun one, so stay tuned. Some of you may have known that I have a background in business in the corporate world. I was a project manager for three different companies from the mid-1980s to mid-1990s. And I met Bill when I was hired as a project manager at J-Bell, where I was in charge of a $50 million work cell. And J-Bell is an electronics design and manufacturing and services company. And I was employed at their Detroit facility from 1992 to 1994. 
And even though I only worked in the company for about two and a half years, Bill and I formed a good friendship right off the bat. Our friendship paused for about five years as I traveled and explored new adventures when I quit the corporate world in 1994. And we rekindled it back up and went deeper and more personal in this last 15 years. And I consider him a dear friend now. I'd like to tell you a little bit about Bill. Bill studied aviation at Western Michigan University, and he had a brief stint as a bush pilot in Alaska. And at the age of about 22, his father nearing retirement, he lured Bill back home to Detroit to try his hand at running Jabil, where, by the way, his sister and mother also worked there in the early years. He then bought a majority stake in the company before his father became ill and passed away. Soon after, he hired some high school buddies and other friends to help run the company in about 1978. And as we say, the rest is history. The company over the 35 years that Bill ran it went from 90 employees and one facility and $700,000 in revenue to 100,000 employees and 60 facilities in 19 countries and $17 billion a year in revenue when he retired as chairman in 2013. Today, Jabil is 200,000 employees, over 100 facilities in 29 countries, and is nearly $22 billion in revenue. And in this episode, I tell some personal stories of working with Bill. We talk about his unique and personable leadership and how the impact of trust with employees create a distinct company culture. Okay, everybody, I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. So let's see. I got some questions for you, man. You shoot, brother. I want to shoot. Was it lonely at the top? You know, because I remember when I first interviewed <laughs> with you and I was doing a round robin interview with uh, all kinds of high management and I actually forgot who I was interviewing with and you were the CEO and I asked you, hey, Bill, like, where are you on this organizational chart? I and you just that. looked at me real calmly and said, well, I'd be at the top, bud. I'd right. be at the top. I remember that. That was a long time ago, dude. It was about 25 years ago. Right. I'm curious on one thing. As you know, like I'm a huge proponent on, on appreciations. Do you feel more of that is needed in the workplace among managers, coworkers, and management? Or do you feel that's too f- uh, feel good to be placed in, in, in the workplace? Yeah, I think that the more the better. There also has to be an equal amount of discussion, Direct, right. honest critique. Where do, do you feel where, that? Do you feel that having the appreciation actually enables people to receive oh, that yeah, more? Absolutely, yeah. and right. and and uh, I think that when I watch the managers that get massive support, the troops follow them for sure. They're, that's what that's what they're doing. I mean, they're you know they're starting a meeting off with what would be the equivalent of, of appreciations in a business context and talking about 
positive things. I, I know I practice that. And, you know, this is great. This is great. You know, you know, we're making progress and in, in ramping up the product. Uh, but you, you also know. did it. You also did it in a personal way because I, you know, either I was. I don't think I was an anomaly, but I remember at times that you'd appreciate just personal characteristic and, and not just how that pertained to how it showed up in business. Mm-hmm. And to me, that that's that's the underlying. When you see the underlying value of the person, then the person feels valued. And right. then they can go ahead and apply that into more of the aspect of of the workplace, even when they mess up. Because I remember there was one time that I was giving a big presentation to my customer. You were involved in it. And I got up and I had some bar charts up on the screen. And their CFO looked and he said, well, wait a second. That's not right. And I remember looking up and it was projections for the next year. And I looked up and I thought to myself, fuck. <laughs> I totally <laughs> fucked that up and I froze and I remember inside myself I said oh fuck it and what I said was oh that's because it's in it's in metric <laughs> and nobody said anything and then you started laughing and and and, I and, and I said yeah 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 that was my mistake I, before you guys leave I'll correct the chart and I came back and sat down I remember you just giggled next to me and you went, fucking metric, man. That was great. That was just great. (laughs) But you never held that against me for fucking up. Yeah. No, it's, uh, I mean, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that goes on in in, in that particular question because, you know, part of it is appreciations, but the other part is, is celebrating the fact that we're all stupid humans and we, and we have, we do make mistakes and so do the customers, you know, right. so do the people that are judging your performance, you know, and we can all get, take ourselves way too serious. And some, sometimes just being, you know, having that human experience and a lot and allowing it, you know, personally, I had plenty of those in my early days. I had a mentor at General Motors, very high level guy. I mean, I used to make him laugh because some of the stuff I would say was just so bluntly honest, you know, <laughs> he wanted us to do it particular job and this was going to be the price and and some of this comes with the turf and you know I went home and I studied it and I went back into a meeting and he was there and he was you know these guys were all three-piece suit guys and and his name was Norm Fulton huge influence in my my business ethics and approach and and he said well you know did you uh and he actually had like a beautiful radio announcer's voice and stuff did you uh, review this contract and and what what are your thoughts? And I was like, well, Norm, I can't make any money at this. Why would I do this? <laughs> <laughs> and he he looked and you know people around the room were all silent, you know. And he started laughing, going, "Oh, Morian, you know, you just don't get it, you know." And he said, "Well." Because I'm telling you, I want you to do it, and you're doing forty million dollars <laughs> a year with General Motors, and it's probably going to go to sixty. And I went, "Oh, uh, okay, <laughs> that's why. I want, that's why I would do that." <laughs> why didn't you say so? <laughs> you know, so letting people be human, you know, in the appreciation side, and I, and it, and it does get more than just you know giving people pats on the back for their business performance, but I think that's important too. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as you're authentic and, and you're not staging that just so you can beat on them in five minutes. Exactly. That's not authentic. Yeah. 
anybody can see through that. Right. It also does go through down to the level of getting with a, a manager uh, after meeting and saying, you know, hey, Jim, you are so good at connecting with people and why are you taking this this more you know mechanical approach in these meetings you know what's up with that you're such a skilled motivator so you, know? you would you would remind them and feed them up their yeah strength. so you're so naturally right. skilled and you're you're warm to people and you walk by people you know you, you normally you'd give them a squeeze on the shoulder and how you doing today and then you go stand up there and you get become this rigid robot and you know that's a case where you're appreciating them authentically. It's, it's, it's the truth. And you might be giving them some advice that sounds critical, but it's saying, you've got this great skill. You know, don't try to be the rigid guy at the chalkboard uh, leader that you think you should be. Go be you. As you were saying, you let people be human because there was another aspect of working at, at Jabo that, that really was eye-opening. Not only, you know, because we, were, we, we dressed casual and that was a big deal back in the 80s mm-hmm. to work for a corporation that we didn't suit up only when the customer was coming up. And I remember I had two choices, I had two offers. Jabel didn't come in with an offer yet and I called you up because Tim was out of town and I said, hey, you know, I'm being honest with you, I got two offers, are you guys gonna make me an offer? And that's when you said, come fly out, you gotta meet mm-hmm. a couple people. But I remember there was one part where I was I was trying to decide, and the, the the amount of money was about the same. But I was like, Nikes every day or a suit? I, I think Nikes <laughs> are going to win out. And so there was one aspect of the humanness, which you also didn't deny. People also had personal relationships in in the workforce. Mm-hmm. I I had a personal relationship with somebody that worked, and we ended up dating for for years, and she was a big integral, wonderful part of my life. And and there was something about it that you also I don't want to say allowed it but you yeah there was humanness in, in that right. and it wasn't this huge taboo thing around that and was that conscious in the aspect of like humans being human yeah i think it all falls into that category and it's going to go on no matter what and um you're just going to drive it under underground it becomes unhealthy when you do that in life when you're in an, an environment where you're spending, you know, out of your waking hours and, you know, you remember the hours we worked. I mean, it was, it was, uh, you know, 60, 70 hour weeks were not uncommon. You're with people that much time. There's going to be relationships that get, get formed that are, that, you know, go beyond friendships. And you're going to deal with some issues that come out of that. And that's extra burden. But in the end, I think people are people. I mean, and, and uh, you're not going to stop it, and it's not healthy to drive it underground. You know, thank God we're not in today's environment exactly. because I don't know how that gets dealt with today because it because nobody can stop it. Right. And yet it's a very litigious society, and there are people that set e- are setting each other up, you know, for the money side of it. Exactly. Um, and there's wrongful behavior where there's, where there's abuse of power, right. and I'm— pretty sure that, you know, whether it's 1970 or 2019, some of that went on then, some of, some of that goes on now. But the bulk of the relationships that are formed at work are healthy, and they're not abuse of power. And yet today, it's all being stomped out. And that's the wrong swing of the pendulum. And I get uh, some of the disgraceful behavior that's been out there, and I think it should be punished. But to sweep 
and have no acknowledgement mm-hmm. of uh, that's how relationships start. It's natural. You know, so it's a very difficult situation to manage in today. I'm glad I don't have to do it. Mm-hmm. To me, it felt like part of life. And we had very, very little problems out of it. You know, a couple managers that thought they had a relationship, maybe did the wrong thing, uh, you know, and that's kind of creepy for me anyways, yeah. you know, to promote somebody to try to get laid, yep. you know, is, I just don't get that. Right. You know, you got a problem. Yeah. And, and, you know, that kind of behavior I get is horrible, yeah. but that certainly wasn't me. <laughs> and yeah. It wasn't uh, most of the men or women that we had in leadership. And there were plenty of uh, people that were enjoying life as human beings and yeah. in a different time. But today I think it's, Maybe the abuse has gotten worse, and but it's you know some of that does throw the the baby out with the bathwater, and I don't know how people are dealing with it. Right, it's just there's just a desire to stop all of it, and is that yeah. possible? Yeah, I don't know. I'm glad I don't have to manage in today's environment. The other day when you and I were talking in the car, we're not going to name names on, on on this episode, but when I left. And I left right after the, <laughs> yeah. that quarter. And if I would have stayed, I would have got the maximum bonus for, for the quarter. And I left and went on to my adventures at, at Esalen Institute and so forth. And I'll never forget that day that I called my sister from the phone booth at Esalen. And she said, hey, you got you got some mail from, from Jabel. And I was like, all right, well, uh, open it. I don't know what it, what it mm-hmm. is. And she said, bingo, it's, it's a check. And it was a check for, you know, it was the... It was the big bonus, and I couldn't believe it that I right. st- still, after leaving, three months later, I ended up getting that, and I called you, and I thank you for it, and you went, hey, bud, I- I'm not going to do you wrong, but what happened was you had several people, which we're not going to name right now in the right. show, right. that was taking over my position or that I thought I was close to that had my back, and they didn't have my back, but you, but you did, right? and you had to keep kind of your own value of what was right and what was wrong in the in the face of people really criticizing your decision. Well, you know, that was a very simple example of doing the right thing because the bottom line was you earned the money. You did a great job and in, in, uh, brought in a great account, made the company a lot of money, and to not get emotionally wrapped around the axle like some of the people did, they immediately made it about themselves and their loss um, and the work that they would have to do, you know, to replace you Mm -hmm. and the hassle that would cause them. And they immediately made it about themselves when, you know, it's, it's your job to deal with that stuff when you put yourself in a leadership role. And I think that there ends up being this emotion around it that wants to punish somebody for it. Right. And that would be the wrong thing to do. And, you know, in some ways I had the benefit of being at a, at a, a level where it was going to affect me, maybe not as much. You know, I was certainly going to have to go to the customer and say, hey, this guy you've enjoyed a great relationship with and stuff is moving on. I'd, hey, we did that together. Do you remember when, when oh, we yeah, did that? Actually, we did yeah. that together. And do you remember when the VP, uh, his name was Roy, he asked me right in the middle of that meeting that we were transitioning out, and he said, hey, I want to talk to you outside. 
and him and I went outside the door, but there was a little window. And what he said to me was, he said, he said, hey, I just really want to appreciate you for all that you did, but I just want to make sure that you're not going to just sit on top of the mountain with a guitar all your life and just, <laughs> and just waste that away. And then he gave me a hug, and you saw that. Mm-hmm. And I came back, and I sat next to you, and you just leaned over to me and said, hey, man, did he tongue you too? And I said, <laughs> yeah. man, you're just jealous that you just didn't get a hug yeah. like I did. Well, so, I mean, he knew it was going to be a transition for him too, right. but you know, that's just people seeing, you know, doing the right thing right. and you had earned the money and. I wasn't going to a competitor. That was another thing when I no. left. Right. No. So, and I, I think that, uh, what I saw and probably what Roy saw was, the giant leap that you were taking, how much courage that that involved to leave a very high paying job, big stock option, big wealth potential, you know, good company, good camaraderie and jumping off the cliff to go pursue what you felt like you were meant to do, which is really helping people, not building gadgets for people. Right. And I think that, uh, through the right lens, you know, um, that's really admirable stuff. And even if it causes some disruption, you know, in the industrial world, so what? The people that embraced you doing that, I think, were had a lot of admiration. And those are the people that still just stays with me close into my heart. Like right. when, when I went to you and I went to you, even though you weren't my direct report i went to you when i decided to leave Mm -hmm. and i just walked in your office i remember and i just said to you hey man i just want to tell you like i'm 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 leaving i made a decision to leave and your first response to me was well where are you going and i thought to (laughs) myself i was probably envious you know because i wanted to leave too (laughs) i was thinking what the fuck man aren't you gonna like beg me to stay like put put some more money in my face and the next sentence she said to me was, I, I knew this wasn't wasn't for you. I just thought you would put another hundred grand in your pocket or so before you left. <laughs> right. But so there was something that like you didn't hold any of this kind of uh, contraction around, mm-hmm. you know, this person that of I course, admired it. Yeah. You know, it yeah. was a big decision. And mm-hmm. uh, but it's that's kind of that those are the kind of interactions that for me, whether, you know, we ever continued in a business relationship, that that's what kept my personal relationship going with you. I didn't have any other personal relationships with those other guys because I didn't have the continuous mm-hmm. positive interactions that you and I have. Right. And then over the years, we've maintained our friendship for the last 25 years and built it and gone deeper in it because of that, because of interactions like that. And right. even though, yeah, we severed the, the work relationship in that area, to me, you know, the basis of a relationship is a relationship. It's trust, it's admiration, mm. it's respect. Mm-hmm. And we kept that that going, and I thought that that you did that so well. And I'm also wondering how was it challenging for at times with people I knew that you were close with, but you also had to let them go. That you would have to fire them. What what was, what was that? Well, like? you know, that's those circumstances are uh, truly a test of your ability to stay present in the what's so and very difficult to move somebody on that's you've created a, an authentic relationship with that you know has uh, wandered from their ability to do the job 
the jobs become more complex than their capabilities of handling it, more complex than they're equipped to deal with. I, I think you develop that conviction and that skill set by doing it wrong a few times. It didn't seem like you became hardened by it. No, it's not about being hardened by it. It's about experiencing what happens when you don't tell the truth about what the situation is. And you try to shore it up. You try to move the problem to somebody else's responsibility. responsibility. And you end up watching how it actually gets worse and worse for that person. You know, and how it turns into, always turns into a worse situation than confronting it compassionately and honestly. So, so in and, some way that's doing that person a service. By well, being, it, it is. Right. It is because they, you haven't wasted another two or three years of their life with them thinking that they have a shot or that they're, this is a temporary reassignment or, you know, it's a disservice and it's dishonest. And, you know, you watch their self-esteem slowly get crushed. And these are good, smart people because you didn't have the, the strength of character to deal with it directly. And when I say deal with it directly, I don't mean without compassion and without trying to help them to another solution and, and being grateful for their contribution that they've made, you know, helping them transition to, to something that suits them better. You know, it's not about abandoning those obligations, those moral obligations, but it's about really confronting it that you're not the right person for this job. You had to do that at times for people that you had personal relationships since since childhood. I had had three uh, situations that were high school friends that did a, a fantastic job in their different roles earlier in the company that that were extremely important you know to me as 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 friends and you know, people that I could rely on when, when times were very difficult that you know their life their lives changed um, the job function changed some of it became more statistically driven data driven so you know, their skill level and capability didn't keep up with the change. some of that or, you know, well, in, you know, it's really it no longer utilized what their natural talents were. Right. So it was a constant effort for them to try to, you know, fit. They were smart enough, but it was just not, it became an unnatural fit or, you know, their lifestyle changed at home. They just uh, didn't have the appetite to do the amount of travel, the amount of uh, sacrifice that some of these jobs took, they tried to hold the job because it was a you know, huge opportunity, you know, big, big pay, whatever. And it was maybe a big conflict with what their family agreement was. And so you have this very, you know, high friction situation with this employee in, in, the, in the middle that's trying to do the right thing on two sides and none of it's working. Had a couple of those. So it's almost like shooting the horse and putting it out of, out of its misery in some way. <laughs> yeah. Did you lose sleep? I mean, oh, of course, because yeah. no matter how wise you think you are or how many times you've, you've been through tough situations and even though 
you start knowing what the right answer is and you know that you're equipped to be compassionate and and deal with it you know that it's going to be very uncomfortable it's that's a major a major transition in a in a personal relationship that mm-hmm. you had that you know that that's that's going to be a wound a wound that that's never, never repaired, repaired you know that never heals and so you know you're you have a relationship and you love this person um you you know know their family and you know that that's at risk that they just they just can't put it together and that it's going to be permanently damaging and so of course you lose sleep over that and you go through the scenarios enough where you you say yeah but there's but this is the right thing to do and did you feel that way when you decided to transition out of the day-to-day operations was that a turmoil for you of of making that decision of I'm going to pass the baton, the all the people that are relying on me and I, the disappointment that I'm going to have, you know, from people, or was it really clear for you? Like, I, I I did what I can do. I was very successful. I helped many people out. I'm really fine with my decision. Or did you lose sleep over it? No, I didn't lose sleep over that. I mean, I I didn't come to that conclusion until. I felt like that they were, everybody was in good hands, you know, and that the, the leadership that I was putting in place was going to carry many of the, the same attributes culturally. And on top of that, they were better equipped to lead, you know, the next phase of the company than me. Hmm. And to some people that would be make them very sad to some people that's a joyous occasion because <laughs> because then you get can, the old man out man he's like <laughs> he's keeping us back <laughs> well right i mean who whoever wants to be in that position right not me and and to some folks stepping away from the business or stepping down from the top post you know they might be sad that that the organization is better off oh. going forward without them but i never felt that way because i put a lot of work into making sure that the right people were in place. And when I, once I realized that this person that was working for me was doing the heavy lifting, had earned the right to experience being the primary leader, the CEO, you know, it was, then it was okay with me to say, well, I'm doing the right thing. I'm, I'm so, giving so- him his shot. So I felt very gratified about about how how well you well, tucked, ever, tucked everybody in bed real well, <laughs> right? And and frankly, you know, you talk about some of these tough experiences. I was happy to be be able to take a break from uh, having to deal with right. with with this stuff all the time because although it's about doing the right thing and it's about strength of character to good or you know whether you're going to be received well or not moving forward and, and telling the truth to the employee and that kind of thing. It's not that fun, those tough things. Yeah. So to be able to say, okay, I did a great job. This guy's well-equipped. <sighs> you know, and, I don't have to do that now. And and I think that, I don't know, maybe this is my projection is that there was an easier transition because you did that so well almost day to day. I mean, you gave people a lot of leeway to do their job. You weren't you weren't fucking hanging over them all the time. You right. were allowing. So to me, that was kind of also a natural transition when you decided to let go and leave. 
it wasn't all of a sudden the first time you did that. You were doing no. that all along for years. Right. Being I, able to keep letting go and letting people do their job. And that and that is a great observation because That's a great quality of a leader personally. You know, I mean that's uh there are some great leaders that are micromanagers, but I'm not one of them. And um, that's why people loved you too. I think the aspect of let you trusted them to do their fucking job. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and along with being trusted to do your job, it's is also you can you say know, fuck you're held. You can say fuck on my podcast, <laughs> yeah, by the way. I, can, I know. <laughs> you know, the, the there's two sides to that equation though, because in you you know, you experienced it. I let people do their job, but guess what? They were accountable That's right. to do their job. That's a lot right. of organizations don't hold their people accountable. Right. And, you know, yes, they really don't give them enough rope to hang themselves. And we constantly did that. That's how you grow people. But what comes along with getting enough rope to hang yourself is you can hang yourself and you're accountable. So it's not just this, everything's, you know, there's all positives because the negative in that, in that culture is if you don't do your job, the culture spits you out. And that, that's what I experienced. I remember when I got that big customer and I didn't know what the hell I was really doing and having all that responsibility. I remember the first quarter I lost 200 grand and I remember thinking, (laughs) that was a lot of money back then, right? And I was thinking either I've got to educate myself a lot more and be right on people's asses, or I can do more of what my inner quality was and have more of the personal relationship. So what I decided to do was I remember I woke up two, three o'clock in the morning, bought a bunch of pizzas in for that last line workers and sat down with them and had pizza with them, asking them all kinds of questions of what was working, what was not I working. Kinda re- I kind of remember. You remember There was a bit of franticness to it, I think. <laughs> and remember when I brought in that band, the, the, the fanfare of our customer, we had like a three-piece band and, <laughs> right. and invited all the people on the line to celebrate and have cake and everything. For yeah. me, it was about engaging in those personal relationships and my engineers and my purchasing people. To me, I was like, what do you need? I don't have to micromanage. I trust you because I don't know your mm-hmm. shit. You know your shit. And then after that is when I started getting profits because of, because of that. Right. So it was, if you didn't let me feel the fire, I wouldn't have actually dug in to really find what was my skill set. My skill set was very different than other people's skill set. Right. And I think that that's the beauty of it. That's the danger of it. Right. Because um, not everybody passes the test of fire. Right. You know. Uh, I passed and that, it and then I left. <laughs> <laughs> you made it a big success. I, I, did, I didn't, said, been I did, there, done that, and off you went, you know. Did you feel a gap because you were the, the boss, the, the top dog? Did you ever feel that gap? The lonely at the top thing, of course, you hear about that a bunch, but, uh, you know, for me, that all depends on, you know, how you've structured your relationships with the people that work with you. You know, it's true that you have the ultimate decision-making when you're in that kind of a role, but if you've, you know, structured your relationships in the right way, given people broad responsibilities and, and really meant that authentically, you're not alone. You're, you're not lonely. I mean, that takes being alone. And if you've kind of left your ego at the door on a bunch of that stuff, you know, you're really surrounded by a team that knows what the responsibilities are and 
you're there to help them with tough decisions, but ultimately they they know that it's their decision. So, but you, you did that so so naturally because like I I never felt intimidated by you. I don't remember anybody ever feeling intimidated by you. Everybody was excited to hang with you, to have a meeting with you. When you were in town, it was like, Bill's in town, it was exciting. It wasn't like, oh shit, we gotta get our shit together. Mm -hmm. So how did you form that? Was that just the natural aspects of closing that gap between uh, the boss, the owner, and your employees? How did how'd that come about? You know, for me, the, it, there was always some really basic instincts that I think I had about having a deeper relationship with people that worked for me than maybe what would be normal or maybe what they had experienced in their other jobs. And it actually, when I think about it, that culture attracted people from, very talented people from uh, more mainstream companies that they just didn't feel good in. Uh, they really didn't have the authority. There was a big ego at the top. There was more of a dictator uh, sitting there. And if you engineer it that way, you know, you can experience that lonely at the top feeling. But I think, you know, building a broader connection with, with the people that, that worked with me and for the company made all the difference in the world. You know, people will say, well, that only works in a small company. And and that's simply not true. Yeah, because uh, you took it from how many pe how many people did you have when you started? When I took the business over, there were about ninety employees. So you started that culture right off the bat, and when you when you left and you retired, what did you have? I think a very similar culture. And how many people did you have? When I left, we were about a hundred thousand, and we're about two hundred thousand today. So the company's again doubled. So then that train of thought of just being able to only do it with a small group of people, you developed that culture into that huge company and kept that culture of that. Yes, it's uh, it's challenging. It's easier when it's small. You know, this isn't an easy task even when it's small because, you know, you're, you're engaging with people and are authentically concerned about, you know, what you know, their needs are and, you know, what their skill sets are. And, you know, that's easier when it's a small group and there's only two layers. But uh, you always left yourself accessible to all levels of that. I mean, I hear about that bullshit open door policy. You literally, I mean, you were so accessible. Try, tried to live it. Mm -hmm. um, you have to put energy into it. So, so it can be, it can be draining. It can, and it's certainly rewarding. And I think that, you know, the the people that say, you know, once you get to a certain level, you can't do that. Certain size, you can't do that. And I kind of looked at it like, well, you know, at one point I knew everybody's name that worked at the factory level that was actually they were actually doing the work. You know, I knew everybody. Well, you know, that's extremely gratifying for the culture. And that's validating that people make a difference. And, you know, if you know everybody at every level, well, you can't do that. But what you can do is recognize that common groups typically have some common things and common goals, common needs in life, common struggles. You know, it's kind of like I was thinking about this uh, a while back. 
people talk spiritually about, you know, souls and so forth. And I happen to believe that like flocks of birds kind of have a common soul. You know, they're individuals, but they have kind of a common soul. And I think that if you can stay in touch at the different levels in an organization and, and stay in touch with what the common kind of soul is for for that group of people, you can get to know them and 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 they can get to know you by your behaviors, even though you may not know every one of right. them. Mm-hmm. You know kind of what they have in common. You know kind of where they are in the station in their, of their life, what their needs are, what their struggles probably are, what their financial situation is, and you can kind of react to that with compassion and understanding, and that messaging by your behavior as a leader, that messaging gets there, and and it preserves that. It preserves that that connectivity. You, you did that a lot through the aspect of social connection. There was so much social connection in our culture, in, in the Jabal culture, that enabled you to also know what was going on with people's lives. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of dinner scenes. It was a lot of hanging out bar scenes. It was a lot of just social activity, pig roast. So you, you knew people on, on a very personal level in order to, to gauge that. And I, it didn't seem to me that there was strategic in, in your way, but it was the way that you just wanted to. I think it was, I think it was natural for me because you know, I came from a very blue-collar background. I enjoy uh, folks with, with those common struggles, you know, more than I enjoy people running with high success and big egos. And, you know, so I relate to it. And so it makes it easier. But I think that even if you're not naturally strung that way, I think that, that you can recognize, you can keep those connections. And if even if you don't know, the 2,000 people working on the floor, you have connections with enough people that you know, you've know you known a long time where you know what the pulse is because they, do, they, they continue to stay connected. I mean, you can't have 2,000 people outside your door wanting to talk to you every day, but you keep those connections of the folks that, uh, that have a pulse on that and you can make- And you have to trust that. You have to trust, trust them. Oh yeah, and you make you make decisions on behalf of those those people that are that are doing the right thing for them and having a pulse on it. So, if you forget about all that, all all the different people that make an organization work, it can't be done without the person at the top. For sure, it can't be done without the people building the product or writing the code or whatever it might be. If you don't lose perspective on and miss interpret the value of of the different layers and keep it in perspective then you'll you'll be able to keep in touch with it it'll be authentic mm-hmm. and it won't be lonely at the top you know because you'll have all this this opportunity to have the whole organization kind of rooting you know for the same direction and right. and your direct reports and stuff you know are clear that they're responsible i many times let people do take a path take a solution direction that I knew in my heart was not the most efficient way to solve it or the most cost-effective way to solve it. But it was going to get to the right result and it was going to empower them 
in ingrained in them that they that they're the authority on it. So, you, the, at that point, you become a coach, not a not a dictator. So, so what what was some of like the the, the stupid shit that you would see, like the, the stuff that you would see employees do with each other that wasn't beneficial at all? What are some of the the ways either that they acted towards each other, or communicated that that you knew right off the bat, or that you would try to monitor and get a pulse on that you knew was not beneficial? Oh, there's some of the obvious things that, you know, like maybe, maybe somebody not working out in their, in a certain job and shuffling to them to a different job, you know, instead of dealing with the problem, you know, head on compassionately and so forth. But, you know, some of the avoiding and shoving them in. Yeah. Some of the, some of those kind of things go on and it doesn't benefit anybody and you can watch it and you can kind of say, well, you know, if I were you, I would sit with, you know, Bob or Cindy or whoever it is and, and kind of go over this. And, you know, so some of those kind of mistakes and also, you know, really a lot of, a lot of customer interface decisions that people, you know, are, making decisions without quite enough data, but it looks, it looks like, you know, the results gonna, gonna get them there and the, their planning wouldn't be exactly how I would plan it. And in the end they got, they got there, but you know, it took more people or. And backstabbing, was that going like, could you see that? Well, there's, there's always, there's always some of those kind of behaviors. You know, I didn't, I don't think I saw too much of that, but there's always people trying to position, you know, one of the things that, and I don't know that this is, is really on point to the original question, but one of the things I would see in certain types of people that were very, usually very bright people that would have a strategy to climb the ladder, you know, first I'm going to do this, I'm going to impress this person you know, then I'm going to rise to this level. And then, and then, you know, I want to jump from this job function over to this other one, moving, you know, over to purchasing or moving to sales. And they, they were constantly saw quite a bit of this actually. And it was, it was many times out of the you know, more aggressive, higher educated, smart uh, men or women and they would spend so much energy on their strategy of how to succeed that they forgot the fundamental of, of doing the very best job you can do in the current role that you're at. And that everything else kind of gets taken care of if right. you do that. If you do that. And this does kind of relate to the, other, to the original question because you could coach some of these folks saying... Susan, you know, just focus on this stuff and the organization needs this and this organization really acknowledges hard work and dedication and being in the trenches and getting the job done and and quit worrying about the next step. And um, you could coach people, but, you know, sometimes you had to just let them run their plan and, and inevitably if they focused on that strategy versus getting the the job done that they're currently in, they weren't as happy. They weren't as productive. The organization, you know, was not 
uh, thrilled with them because they were always angling for something. And they didn't do, uh, they ended up not doing a great job. So this elaborate strategy didn't work out for them and they were very confused by it, you know. But, you know, I, I think back to the core of the question, you know, I've, I've, I've let people, you know, uh, price things wrong. I've let people, you know, to, just so they could experience what that turn, how that turns out, you know, you know, getting a job on price and saying, this is the wrong thing to do. Yeah, we might make a little money, but you need to get with the customer and say, this is our value. And yes, the competitors down here at $25, and, but we're $27.50 for a reason. But, you know, you watch them and they struggle with that and say, all right, I'll support the price. And then they find out, you know, that they did the wrong thing and they don't do it the next time. But you gave people a lot of slack in that. I, I mean, what, what I saw was you gave people a lot of slack to mess up, to, you know, have to come back and take responsibility. A lot of people don't do that. It's, you know, zero tolerance. I, I, don't, I never felt there was a, a zero tolerance policy. And that was a, a great attribute of you being able to gauge. And as you say, you use this terminology, you're not strung a certain way. Like you don't take a lot of things personally. Mm-hmm. Hey, Matt. Thanks so much for taking the time and no problem, I, and, buddy. And especially we're we're here at the beautiful ranch here in Montana, and folks, we're going to be taking a helicopter ride. That's it's right. Be, yeah, it's going to be flying me around on, on my birthday. Do, we're going to do. Oh yeah, yeah and yeah, this is a birthday session. Yeah, it's a birthday session. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we're going to do a little flight probably into Yellowstone Park, and then I've got a favorite trip down the the Yellowstone. There's some caverns uh, south of us in the park, and we can fly down in the caverns, and it's it's kind of a magical experience. So we're gonna we're gonna do that, and and then have carrot cake, and have carrot cake. <laughs> yeah, baby. Yeah, that's my favorite. That was that was my request. Yeah. So again, you know, I just want to thank because I don't know, you know, how many people can do it, but we kept our friendship over the years, and I really want to appreciate you for for also feeding that and it going deeper and deeper, you know, over the years and so we can have times like this. Likewise, man. man. You're okay. a treasure to know for sure. Yeah. All right, baby. Love Thanks, you, man. I love you. Thanks, man. Relationships. Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed professional counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit HeartShareCounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk at AdiTheMonk.com. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is produced by PodCraft. Create your own great podcast today, faster and easier at podcraft.us. Thank you.